This episode of the David Suisa podcast brought to you by Mount Sinai Memorial Parks and Mortuaries. This is not a subject people like to talk about, but it's unfortunately an important one that needs to be taken care of with reverence and holiness. For over 60 years, Jewish families throughout Southern California have entrusted Mount Sinai to care for their loved ones. In addition to managing two beautiful cemetery properties in the Hollywood Hills and Simi Valley, Mount Sinai also provides the full range of Hebra Kedisha services. This is one of the most sensitive subjects in our community, and it's one that we're grateful for places like Mount Sinai to be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You'll always speak to a Mount Sinai employee, never an answering service. So please get on their website get all the information you need, mountsinaiparks.org. Again, mountsinaiparks.org, and we're grateful to them for sponsoring this episode of the David Suisa Podcast. This is David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast in the house today. My dear friend, Roz Rothstein, co-founder, CEO of Stand With Us. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I've, we've known each other for such a long time. How, how old is Stand With Us? 18 years? Stand With Us is 18 years, and I think you and I met at the very beginning. Very beginning. Used to come to my ad agency, and we had this crisis time during the Second Intifada. When it yes. felt as if one bomb after another was going off in Israel, and there was a real sense of emergency. Yes, and I, I remember how great you were at uh, bringing people together. Uh, you had your even your newspaper at the time, the Olam, o Olam and right. Ashkafardik, <laughs> uh, you know. And you I know, remember you really were trying to gather everybody on one page as much as possible. You know, it was crazy. So Olam was like this spiritual phase that I went through before the Second Intifada hit. And before 911 hit. So it was those, you know, lighter, more innocent days. And then the second Intifada hit, then 911 hit, and then Olam sort of became, hey, you know, we need to take the gloves off. This is a different fight we're fighting now. Well, and but it became a beautiful backdrop of what was going to be needed very badly. Right, right. Some right. unity. Some yeah, unity. Exactly. Whatever. Whatever that means, you know. <laughs> oh, which we all crave, but sometimes it's, you know, it's very well, difficult. Rabbi Artson said a great thing. says, uh, unity, not necessarily uniformity. Right. You know? Right. Um, so speaking of that, it's been now 18 years. You've really grown the organization on so many levels. Um, why don't you tell our listeners some of the key things that have happened in these 18 years? I know you now uh, have of offices around the world. Yes, we have 18 offices, 18 years and 18 offices. Yes. Uh, and uh, it's been an evolution uh, from uh, what was the largest need and that was unfulfilled, uh, whether it was the campus uh, or a lack of uh, Israel education that was consistent uh, in the high school. Uh, so now we have a high school unit. Uh, we just opened up middle school. We have curriculum for middle school that's in over 140 different schools in America uh, and growing very, very fast. H how do you measure the success of, of education? 
So we, we work hard to measure our own success and not invest scarce resources into things that don't work. So, for example, with the children, uh, young teens in middle school, uh, we literally are, are, you know, polling them and evaluating them all the time. Mm -hmm. And we find that as a result of our work, the teachers and the students are very excited. And we find that there's a, a higher level of knowledge and a higher level of inspiration, mm -hmm. which is what we're looking for. We're looking for inspiration. Mm -hmm. You know, you can educate people uh, up the mountain and back again, but mm -hmm. if they're not inspired, uh, you're not going to have them uh, working or engaged or involved. It's not right, going right. to work. And, and so much of the inspiration these days is coming from ignited by the propaganda of the other side that makes Israel an oppressor, makes the Palestinians the poor and the oppressed, and it kind of lights up among the people who are not that knowledgeable. It's kind of that social justice gene where they feel they need to go for the underdog and so forth. And there's some so much emotionalism that is working on the other side because the other side is really not aiming for education. The other side, when I speak of the other side, I speak of the forces uh, on campus, the, the anti-Israel forces, the BDS forces, the JVP, and all these organizations. They're not doing education on their end. They're doing propaganda. And so many Jewish students are vulnerable to that. Well, particularly vulnerable if they have not had any background or inspiration. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry to say that the Jewish community has to a large degree fallen short in the last three and a half decades or more uh, in not really properly inspiring youth uh, to become involved. I mean, birthright is fantastic. There are fantastic camps. There's wonderful efforts there but not enough. And so what we are experiencing is a real vacuum. And, and what we're trying to catch up with is this vacuum. Do you think we're being penalized in a way because we live at a time now where the underdog, the victim are, are so elevated and, and anything that smacks of powerful and successful is not as popular. And Israel is kind of getting trapped in that, you know, paradigm. And in many sense, Israel's being penalized for its success. It's not that cool today to no. go for the powerful and the successful. It's a lot more cool to fight for the oppressed. Well, if it's very black and white, and you have the overdog and the underdog. Oh, I never uh, heard overdog. Israel, Israel has become the overdog since '73, and so you know, and people have taken Israel for granted. Even you know, if you have, you know, you you get black and white on this. You get uh, two segments of population: uh, Jews and non-Jews. Even in the Jewish community, you know, viewing Israel, taking for granted the existence of the ancestral homeland of the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. This is not something that everybody appreciates every mm -hmm. day. And so we have fallen short in in transmitting that love, that inspiration to, to young children. And, and even in the media, you know, I'm part of the media world. In the media world, it's, it's a lot more lucrative to focus on bad news. Uh, we know that already. It's more, it's more interesting. It's more dramatic. If it bleeds, it leads. To focus on the, yeah. the faults of Israel. Um, and somehow... Whenever I, you know, a positive message comes out, it's not given the respect I think it deserves. It's kind of seen as 
uh, smacks of propaganda or you just, what do they call it? Pink washing. Pink washing. What else do they call it? Any washing. <laughs> Any <laughs> washing. washing. It's like, now there's oh. vegan washing. Oh, they, Israel right or wrong. Have uh, you heard that one? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Israel right or wrong. But you know what? My kid, uh, Raz, I love him right or wrong, right? It's like my connection with people who are very close to me. It's not because I think they're right that I love them. Uh, I just love them because I'm very, very close to them. And I love Israel, right or wrong. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to criticize Israel. It just means that my connection is is deep. Well, if you think about it, uh, your family members, uh, you know, and you've said this before, likening the family members to Israel, um, you know, just because they make a mistake or just because you don't like something they're doing, you're not uh, asking them to leave your house. Uh, you're not finished with them. Uh, just because you don't like a policy in Israel, you're not finished with them. If you love something, you work with it, and and you you uh, acknowledge it, you talk about it. It's 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 a path. It's a it's, journey. It is. It really is. Is that a challenge for Stand With Us? Because you do so much work on campuses. Do you ever have, you know, um, students from J Street, for example, that come and confront you and criticize you and say, how come you don't do any criticism of the occupation and how Israel treats Palestinians? Do you ever have to confront that, and how do you do that? Uh, well, it may not be coming so much from J Street. It could be coming as a general, uh, you know, criticism that, oh, Stand With Us only focuses on the positive mm -hmm. things about Israel and doesn't get into the negative things. Um, so we, we do it a number of ways. So if we take missions to Israel, like the uh, presidents and vice presidents of uh, student councils uh, on college campuses, we, we take them to visit Palestinians. We take mm -hmm. them to see uh, everything. And, and ultimately, we find that they walk away understanding very deeply the story and the stories, because there's always multiple stories. Mm -hmm. It's not one story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one way of, of dealing with it. But we are happy to have any kind of conversation. It's like, bring it on. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Let, let's sit and have a conversation about anything. Anything right. that right. we we have created booklets on the settlements. We have created booklets on every topic, because you know part of the thing is without information, with a real vacuum in information, people jump to conclusions. If they're given a little bit of negative information, they're finished. They formed an opinion and they're done. And they hate, hate, hate Israel. Now, what's uh, what's the toughest one you have to deal with of all of them? Is it um, is it the so-called occupation? And what's the answer? What's the best answer? Well, you know, there is no one thing. You know, maybe if we try to to educate people about Israel's human rights or uh, Israel's humanitarian aid around the world, we're accused literally of ignoring. Because if you're going to oh, say right. something— washing. Yeah, the washing. So if you're going to say something wonderful about Israel, that they just—you know, they were the first ones in Haiti— Right. You know, they were the first ones to set up. Uh -huh, you're trying to hide something. We're hiding. What right. are we hiding? Uh, maybe they're selling uh, organs. To, I mean, it's creepy. It's creepy accusations. There's a lot of creepy, you know, fringe accusations. And there are a lot of accusations like, you know, you guys are, are talking about the wrong thing. So what if Israel went and was the first in Haiti? Correct. Uh, you know, what about the fact that, you know, that the that way they, you're dealing with Palestinians, that they shoot 
baby right. Palestinian kids on purpose, deliberately. There's intentional violence there. You know, it, it's an amazing exactly. accusation. It's almost like the lesson to them is, no matter what you hear about Israel, go to these three points. Don't allow them to control the narrative, the ones that are talking about Israel. They're not interested in the debate. No. Now, there's one strain of it that is particularly worrisome for me, and it's coming from a group called If Not Now, which is a spin-off of J Street. I've had a number of encounters with them, polite encounters, I might add. And the thing that I find worrisome is the oversimplification. For example, they're obsessed with just Israel should end the occupation, as if Israel can just click its fingers and end the occupation. And I think this is really sort of um, counterproductive to the community conversation is creating this distorted view of reality that one side has the power and the ability to click their finger and end the occupation. How do you deal with that? So that's right. Um, what we're doing right now is we're trying to be far-reaching and very strategic about this problem. Uh, we're seeing the tip of the iceberg. If we do not educate our youth, if we do not get into high school and into middle school, and inspire young people, we will have more and more of this problem because what we're finding is a lot of these kids from If Not Now do not have deep information. They right. don't understand. They did not get inspired as children. Uh, and so, you know, we're now looking at how do we catch up as quickly as possible to, so that we can get up to speed. Right. There's a kind of an insult to the Palestinians in a way as if they have no agency whatsoever as if they're completely useless and they're incapable of doing anything good for themselves. It's almost insulting. It is insulting. To them. It's, it's, and it's infantilizing them. Infantilizing them and it puts, you know, and it creates this all-powerful all kind of Jewish state that's got the power to do everything. And I think at some point, you know, we need to sort of rebalance things out, even in honor of the Palestinians. I when mean, you look at the reaction from the Palestinian Authority to a potential plan that can help the economy of their own people. So that's that's kind of a disease, um, uh, Roz, and I, I, I really think, you know, I'd like to encourage you to reach out to these groups and let them know that it's a complicated picture, that uh, if you really care about the Palestinian side, then you need to start expecting a little more from them. You oh, know? definitely, definitely. It's it's a ridiculous thing. It's right, one, and I know you've you've done that one-sided, uh, you know, accusation against Israel because Israel's the overdog. Israel's the more powerful, and so you've got uh, you know some kind of a, a skewed view of what's possible in the future. You can't have one side making everything nice and setting the table and offering peace, and the other side saying no. We're not going to, you know, it's like, yes. you're, you know, you're dealing with children and, uh, yes. you know, and so let, let's let be grown up. Let, let's see negotiations. Uh, let's ascribe equal, uh, you know, responsibility to both to both sides, although it's never equal in my mind, because terrorism is not equal to self-defense. So um, it's well, not. Well, you've got a huge following on social media. I'd love to see you sort of reach out to these groups who are so smug and sure of themselves. Speaking of sure of themselves, uh, may I, just I heard say, recently. Yes. May I just say that re regarding social media, I think you'll be happy to know that one of our most active pages is in Arabic. Fantastic. It's it's reaching millions. Fantastic. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it, you know I'll encourage you to just bring out the message that it's not just all about Israel. 
to solve the Palestinian problems. It's also about the Palestinian side. They have the right, they have the agency, they have the ability, and I think it's time to elevate the expectations and treat them, you know, Absolutely. not infantilize them. It's but ridiculous. There's some, yeah, there's a... I know you've, over the years, I've followed you, I go to your dinners, your events, I've spoken at your events, and you seem to always come up with new initiatives. A few years ago, you came up with this legal initiative, the side-off that I thought was terrific, and you've done initiatives in high schools and obviously on campuses. You get this wall that I loved. What do you call that wall? Uh, the, well, the, 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 All the panels that you would ship to campuses. Yes. I've seen them. Anyhow, so your latest is a new initiative to fight anti-Semitism directly. Tell me about it. So it comes out of uh, realizing how powerful, really, our legal department has been. So in the last couple of years since the inception, we have now three full-time lawyers on our team supervising 150 pro bono attorneys in the work to solve some of the bullying problems that students are facing in high schools and college campuses mainly mm -hmm. and also in communities and it's all related to you know these most recent in the last 18 years problems that we felt were not being dealt with properly so there have mostly been on college campuses college campuses is the biggest one mm -hmm. and then we give me have an example of one kind of uh, well, recently, uh, there was a case of a group of Jewish students who uh, had a, uh, uh, a an event, and during their event, 40 kids barged in, uh, the Palestinian uh, Students for Justice in Palestine. Was that UCLA? That was a UCLA. Oh, right. And um, you know, one of the one of the either visitors or students from UCLA ripped up a flag and took away papers from the from the kids that were running this program. And, uh, you know, the, the, the security just stood back, and so it was very problematic. Well, we were lucky because one of the students, the organizer, Justin Feldman, happened to be a graduate of our high school, mm. uh, you know, uh, internship, and he said that he would step forward and go to the police with our attorneys and, and uh, file a report against the whole situation and uh, show pictures and, and video. And so, you know, we, we accompanied him and we supported him. And that's really needed right now. Like, and it's free. And it, it, was, you know. it was on campus, right? He didn't. Yes, it happened on campus. Right. But did he go to a civil court? You know, he went outside to the police department. Okay. And, uh, and what was the result? And so the result now is that uh, there was a statement issued by UCLA that if something else happens with these same players, uh, they might be up for expulsion, you know. you got to admit, though, Roz, it's kind of rich to think that uh, we're at a time right now in American history where uh, college campuses have been obsessed with microaggressions and safe spaces and a little email about a Hollywood, uh, a Halloween costume is being seen as a, as a violent aggression, right? And then when it happens to Jews, all of a sudden they allow macro-aggressions yeah, against right. Jews on campuses, but at a time when even a micro-aggression of a point of view that you disagree with is seen as something that's 
offensive and intolerable. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's exactly it in a nutshell. You know, you know it's everything. Everything is t- is tolerable where it comes to the Jewish kids. They we, we all can, of a sudden we we can tolerate all that uh, macro stuff. Why is that? Why is that? Right. So and and recently uh, we were actually issued a letter. It was very public to UCLA, telling them that that they may be in violation of Title VI. Uh, not making their Jewish population feeling comfortable on that campus. And so we're waiting. We gave them a deadline. We're waiting for them to come back to us. But these are the kinds of issues. And, you know, if UCLA is in violation, my God, I mean, UCLA. So uh, that will be an example for the country. It's kind of sad, though, for me personally, because I'm a free speech junkie. And I really believe in, you know, this idea of, you know, the, the right to offend and... To be exposed to all kinds of different point of views, even if I, you know, disagree with them, so I do believe that uh, we should have that environment. But then it seems that they take it too far when you go and physically assault somebody, or um, what do you call it? What they did with Michael Oren at UC Irvine, where they kept standing up and uh, taking away his free speech. Right. There's like that's not free speech when you uh, try to shut somebody up. And it just seems that, you know, the Jews are too often put in a position where we have to defend ourselves against macroaggressions, whereas in truth, so many of us believe in the uh, freedom of speech to express different point of views, and that's not what you're fighting in that case at all. So it's freedom of speech, it's a sense of safety, it's a sense of feeling welcome. I mean, there there are many things going on here that are just not right, and it's, uh, you know, there's far too many examples across the country, and of course in Canada and the UK where we also work. Uh, but But coming from a place of recognizing how powerful the legal effort became in the last few right. years for Stand With Us. We've, we've literally dealt with over 800 different incidents, 800. Right. So now we're, we're taking it apart. We're saying, okay, what do we have? What are we looking at? Let's focus one team on only anti-Semitism. Uh, it, it may be legal. It may be educational. Mm. We're looking at a collaborative effort. We want to bring other organizations together. It's not being done, David. You're going back to what we said earlier about Olam. Right. This is not being done in the world of how we fight against anti-Semitism. In collaborative effort, you mean? There's, there, there is very little going on mm-hmm. in terms of putting together a strategy for a community, including all the different uh, organizations that are working in this space. Like which ones, for example, like the ADL? Well, the ADL, it could be Simon Wiesenthal, mm-hmm. it could be who who's working in this space uh, against anti-Semitism. Let's get them together. Let's sit down and, and, and let's talk about a collaboration. We don't have to agree on everything. What's it's, missing? What's missing in the fight against anti-Semitism, especially when you consider and we've heard so many scholars over the years tell us that this is a pathology. It's going to happen no matter what. People are always going to find an excuse for anti-Semitism. Anything that bothers them that's happening in society will be blamed on the Jews. We've been the eternal scapegoats. When you consider the reality claimed by so many scholars that it's always going to be there, what what can you add, bring to the party? So there are good things happening. Uh, there is some education happening uh, in different uh, venues about hate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things that are broader. 
Uh, but we feel that there hasn't been a systematic strategy. If mm -hmm. you take a look at Stand With Us, what does Stand With Us do? On the one side, we have a wing that educates and pushes out information, whether it's social media or our materials or memes or, you know, on college campuses, conferences, pushing out great information. Uh, tying people's neshamas, tying their hearts and minds to their own Israel connection. That's what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the other wing is, okay, when something goes wrong, if it's a BDS, if it's the boycott movement against Israel, or it's uh, you know a campaign that's heinous, we need to do something about it. We're not going to sit back. That's stand with us. We're not going to sit back and just let it happen. Right. Uh, we'll respond and we'll do a you know a strategy. We'll do a deeper strategy. We'll track it. We'll follow up with it. And so there has to be these two wings. So if you take a look at that as a model, so there's got to be education. And what what does even the word mean? Because you have the IHRA definition, which is very lengthy and very important. Very important. Of, of anti-Semitism. Yes, IHRA definition. What does that stand for? So it stands for the International Holocaust uh, Remembrance Alliance. That's a major Remember. deal, right? Yes, it's a major deal. Because right? you had Canada, I think, recently endorsed it. Yes, yes, which is very, very important. But it's a very lengthy very lengthy definition, and people should look into it. Are campuses endorsing it? So, you know, not so much yet. Mm -hmm. So not so much. That, that's a place we want to go with right. IHRA. But what, what do we need? Like you're in an elevator and somebody says to you, you know, I don't, I don't really understand anti-Semitism. What is it? What is it? So we need definitions. We need, you're a marketer. Mm -hmm. That's your blood. You, you know, you need a marketing campaign about this issue, to identify, to expose, and to act where needed, and to litigate when needed. We, we need a whole mar integrated marketing campaign that will be made up of education and response. And so we're outlining a whole campaign, and we're hoping to bring in many organizations. As a matter of fact, if there's organizations listening to this right now, if you're out there and you want to be part of this, write to Jerry R. at standwithus.com. Jerry with a J or a G? Jerry with a J. Okay. J-E-R-R-Y. R. R. At standwithus.com. At standwithus.com. We hired the most fantastic director for this department. Her name, her name is Carly Gamel. Mm -hmm. She's not Jewish. But this is very near and dear to her. She, she just, this is, this is what she lives. Mm -hmm. For 10 years, she's been a litigator, and she's a First Amendment expert. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to head up the department in cooperation with our other side-off legal department so that we have the power of the pro bono network. Mm -hmm. And we're going to work with as many organizations as want to come into this. And is legal a critical component? Legal may be a critical component. It's always there. It's a good tool. I'll it's tell you why I love legal laws. Because, you know, as somebody who has a background in PR and marketing, I just find that certain times in life where there's just so much that PR can do, if somebody really hates you, uh, there's nothing that can move them. There is no leaflet. There is no argument. There is no idea. There is no collection of words. There is no image that can influence. The only thing that really they will listen to is the law. 
Okay, and that's exactly right. That's exactly why we got involved with with multiple other organizations to make sure that that state by state we have anti BDS laws because you need the law. We we it's it's such an important tool. So we're standing back ready to uh, educate. Uh, to run integrated marketing campaign, and also, as needed and as warranted, to bring in the legal effort. Is it a crime to be an anti-Semite? No, it's it, it's a free speech issue. Right. But what about the far right? If they if they get nuts and you know the, their hate turns to genocide, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as we've seen this year, you know, tragically, uh, with Poway and with Pittsburgh. I mean. Oh my God! Right. This, well, that's, this, that's just in one clear. year. You've got that's clear. But 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 uh, anti-Semitic speech is protected. Yes, it's protected by the First Amendment. So it how do you is. deal with that? Well, uh, you can point to it as hate speech. Uh, you, but even hate speech, from what I understand, has legal protection. Well, take a look. Let's talk about Farrakhan. Right. Okay. Let's yeah. talk about him. Yeah. He's not in prison. He, he, he said, certainly isn't. He said some incredibly disgusting things, right? And it's amazing to me, David. I'm a daughter of Holocaust survivors. It is amazing to me that this man has gotten away with so much until now. So now, what happened? A major exposure happened with Tamika Mallory, right? Mm. Major exposure. Suddenly now there's all this exposure about Farrakhan because of the women's movement and Tamika Mallory refused to condemn the words of an anti-Semite. He's a clear anti-Semite. So they took him off of Facebook. Now, recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, they should have taken him off years and years ago. All but- right. So you're saying it doesn't necessarily have to be the law but it could be sort of regulations that society regulates itself, for example. So Facebook will have its own regulation. Right, and they need to that. follow it. They need to follow it. So they have regulations, plenty, uh, but, but now they have to be held accountable to following all that. So that's something we'll be getting involved in also. Public shaming? So look, if it's warranted, if somebody, let's just stick with this very severe, sometimes you can learn something from a severe example, right? Mm-hmm. Severe example is, is uh, Farrakhan. And all that he said over the years, Jews are termites and, you know, the Satan, synagogues of Satan. My God, I mean, the man has gotten away with incredible stuff. And maybe a segment of our population said, eh, you know, yeah. don't pay attention. Right. Uh, make Don't make a big fuss about it. It'll make it bigger. You know, just let them speak. It's legal. But but now exposure is very important. Exposure is very important. You could see it really got very loud. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's off of Facebook. Mm-hmm. And now he's having problems on Twitter. So, you know, exposure is very helpful. Uh, the the timing is really good, too. I mean, if you, you see a moment, you see this kind of anti-Semitism, you jump on it. Let's talk about Airbnb. What happened with Airbnb, you remember? Right. Oh, my goodness. They decided that the West Bank, only the Jewish homes are going to be taboo. They're not going to let them, you know, uh, rent them. Right. Uh, but the Palestinian homes, if uh, somebody wants to rent a Palestinian home in the West Bank, that, in the West Bank that's okay. So uh, what was so cool about this is we had Olam, we had Ashkafardi, we had... Ashkafardi, Cultural Reform Conservatox. There you go. We had everybody crashing down, except J Street. We had everybody crashing down on this issue. And what happened in the end? 
It was very consistent. It was very consistent. Everybody was crashing down from their own place. Now, what if we even coordinated that? There was some coordination on Airbnb, by the mm-hmm. way, and we were part of it. Was it the fact that they were singling out the Jews versus the Palestinians? Was that the key issue? Well, I think that that was the main that was the main issue that you know here they are singling out Jewish homes, mm-hmm. okay, and whether settlements or no settlements or you could be this way or that way on on all that didn't really matter for most people. What mattered is that okay, look, it's an unresolved conflict. We don't know where the borders are going to end up. What we do know is that. In the midst of this conflict, they picked a side, and they're they penalizing side. one side, mm-hmm. and that's not going to fly. So what was so beautiful about it was that everybody was on the same page, pretty much, and, and uh, it worked, and it worked. You remember the story of the, the professor who uh, wouldn't sign the letter of um, uh, referral? Right. Right. For the Jewish student uh, at U, U right. of Michigan. You remember that. You remember that. And what happened, once again, the Jewish community didn't even think twice, but everybody from their own places, from their own organizations, crashed down on this university. And let's say that they would have done it anyways, but it was beautiful. It was a beautiful olam moment. Well, you know what? I love where you're going, Roz, because since we're, you're bringing me back to my old days of Jewish unity, which I love, uh, on that theme of unity, you and I were talking earlier that there is a cause that I can imagine 99% of Jews can get behind. And that cause is, and I love the way you worded it before in my office, when you push Jews out. The fancy term which is the longest word. It's really an annoying word, intersectionality. It's got way too many syllables. <laughs> but, the, but the way you worded it, basically what it means in, in, in real English is you're pushing Jews out, which means you have a Jew, a social justice warrior, who's at a meeting of uh, Black Lives Matter or the gay rights group or the women's rights groups or migrant rights, any kind of group that is fighting for justice, and if anybody hears that that person is pro-Israel, they push them out. That's is right. that pretty much a synopsis of intersectionality? So intersectionality were, uh, you know, the story of the oppressed, right? So all the oppressed people are getting together and uh, have a bigger voice, and in a good way. Uh, it would have been great for Jews to be part of that since our own history uh, is that of oppression. We have, you know, a, a huge history. But, you know, just because we're not oppressed this very moment, uh, we, can't, uh, we can't apply. And we're, it's, Jews are the only group, right, that are being ostracized, So I, I understand? So I suppose anybody that would be a pro-Israel, pro-Israel supporter would be an opposite to intersectionality of the oppressed. Right. Uh, because uh, Maybe you know. I'm missing something here, Roz, but it seems to me I can't imagine any Jewish group, and I know pretty much all of them, that wouldn't get behind this and, and expose how wrong this is. Well, one would think, but sometimes these things are not so clear-cut in the moment. Mm-hmm. So intersectionality sounds great, the idea of, you know, a gathering of the oppressed. And Until then, you realize that they're ostracizing one group. Or take the women's movement. The women's movement sounds like a great idea. There are certainly many issues that could be improved, could be better, but 
you're ostracizing the pro-Israel women. Uh, they're not. They need not come. Right. The dike march. Yes. It's all the same concept. Yes. We push you out to use your phrase, which I'm going to use a lot now. We push you out if yeah. you're pro-Israel. Right. There's something incredibly unjust about that. Whether you're on the far left or whether you're on the far right, whether you're J Street, whether you're APAC, whoever you are out there, there's something really unjust about that, that whole idea. So in the days of Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement, I wonder if all those Jewish rabbis and all those Jewish people would have been able to attend the way they did. Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, and I wear that as a badge of honor that, that our people were so involved in, in trying to right what yeah. was wrong in those days. Yeah, all those um, Jewish lawyers hitchhiking to Mississippi and Alabama during the yeah. 60s to fight Being for the civil rights. thrown in prison, uh, beat up. Uh, you know, they they were a big part of it. And, and what would happen today? What happens today if I wear uh, a, a Jewish star on my sleeve or if I'm coming in blue and white and, and a, or a flag? Am I holding a flag and I go to the Women's March? What's going to happen to me? Yeah, there's something kind of sad about a, a country that really embraced the Jews where, I mean, Judaism, despite all the anti-Semitism, it would still, you know, the Jews have really accomplished much. In this country, and this country received us so well, and we've had this long kind of love affair where we kind of mutually helped each other, and then here we are at a time when Israel has become a dirty word, well, you know, on Israel, so many campuses. Israel and, it's and anybody who the Jewish brand, yes, and Israel and anybody who supports Israel, right? So right, it's right. not just Israel; it's anybody. So now the assumption is. That somebody who looks Jewish, literally, who wears a kippah, wears a Star of David, anybody who looks the part will be shunned because of their possible, probable support of the state of Israel. Which brings me to really the, the next point, uh, the elephant in the room, right? So your new initiative is all about anti-Semitism. Yes. And I'm sure you've been in a hundred meetings when somebody's brought up this idea of connecting anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. So how are you going to navigate that treacherous terrain when you have to distinguish when is it justified Israel criticism and when is it anti-Semitism? We actually take that on as a lesson. Uh, we, we teach students how to identify the difference between when it's legitimate criticism of Israel and when it's anti-Semitism. And we use uh, Natan Sharansky's the three, Ds. three Ds. Why don't you repeat the three Ds for our audience? The three Ds. Yeah. They are delegitimization, Demonize. demonization, and double standard. And, mm -hmm. So if you just take double standard, for example, the United Nations is a, an organization example. that is the perfect example. If you take a look at the number of resolutions against the state of Israel and the number of resolutions against Syria or any other you know, human rights abuser, uh, you will see the problem right there. There's a double standard applied to Israel only. And, and demonization, if you try to teach your kids that we're the sons of apes and pigs, that's demonization. Which try is, to conspiracy that we're behind all the bad stuff in the world, that's demonization. That's right. Or saying that an Israeli soldier, this is the big one, David, that an Israeli soldier has intention to murder a Palestinian civilian 
the intention, it's not self-defense, it's intention to murder, Mm -hmm. that is demonization. And that's what's going on right now. We're seeing the demonization of Israeli people, of Israeli soldiers, with an application of intention. Correct. And delegitimization is to say you have no 3,000-year connection to the land, and you are just a result of the Holocaust, and we, the Palestinians, are paying the price for the mistakes of the Europeans. That's right. That that uh, how dare England come in and draw lines, and you know who were they to say that this should be Jewish, um, and uh, and the world? How dare the world say that this should be a Jewish uh, place because they deemed it the homeland of the Jewish people? Why uh, why was Israel created in 1948? It was a uh, bad creation. Mm-hmm. It's the Nakba. So, right. Yeah. On, on that front, I think uh, Yossi Klein Alevi's uh, new book's extraordinary. And I know he was your keynote speaker at your 15th anniversary. I know, because I remember I introduced him. And uh, you've had great speakers over the years, including and you. Thanks. <laughs> uh, but the reaction we've gotten from Yossi has been extraordinary because uh, he has a lot of credibility to reinforce the Zionist narrative. He's a passionate talk about goosebumps he's got all the goosebumps all the inspiration he's just incredibly connected to the zionist story and the indigenous legitimate jewish connection and yearning uh, for the homeland he has all of that and then at the same time he's been listening to palestinian neighbors and he's hearing their story and even though he he doesn't agree with them for in many ways he's still been listening so he's someone that has opened doors to a lot of Jews who uh, are very critical, who don't have the goosebumps of the, the Jewish story and people who are you know misinformed. And he's figured out a way of sort of balancing it in a way that's not necessarily both sides are equal. But he says, this is my story and I'm proud of it. And he's making headway with the Palestinian side. It's extraordinary. So Yossi always reminds me of this person who has, uh, you know, two conflicting needs, right? A simultaneous two conflicting needs. One is the need for the indigenous homeland of the Jewish people. It's ancestral and it's just so gorgeous and goosebumps, right? And the other need is peace, Yes, yes, yes. And recognizing the other side, he has a whole spiritual side, and loving the stranger and so forth. And even within himself, he has the left and the right. He's got what I call the inner struggle. One of the great lines from Yossi is, leaving the West Bank is an existential threat to Israel, and staying in the West Bank is an existential threat to Israel. It perfectly captures this, his inner struggle. And, and I think it's the kind of a voice that is really needed in today's world where everybody picks a side and they're 100% sure that they're right and they have no interest in hearing anything else. He's got that complex middle that, that is really helpful. And you're going to be dealing with this now in your new fight against anti-Semitism. So, yeah, Yossi is, uh, you know, he, he gives us a lesson in that things are just not black and white, right? They're gray. They're shades of gray. And if we really want peace and a peaceful future. We have to listen. We have to dream. Um, now, but now, now anti-Semitism has a really black and white side. Yeah, I think that right? that, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So, so, but anti-Semitism and, uh, and being a bully 
to a Jew or taking away their flag, which we had in Texas of a, a high school student, and we had to send an attorney to help them revamp the rules at their high school so that somebody would be penalized for taking away someone else's property, which Correct. includes a Jewish, uh, the, the Star of David and the flag. But, you know, this is what we're facing now, that, that we have to draw some red lines. We have to be a little bit stronger about our own rights. You know, everybody else's rights are important. That's always going to be true. But there's univer universal rights, and this is right now very clear-cut, and we need to draw those red lines. And is help. it getting worse? I mean, we hear that it's getting yes. worse. Sometimes I wonder if it's the same, but just the presence of social media makes it look worse than it really is. What's your thought on that? I think it's worse, and I'll tell you why. Uh, we had these two murders in the course of six months. Uh, we've got a lot of very—we've um, got more swastikas. We've got higher levels of— bad things happening in high schools. The percentages are up. We have every evidence. And you saw the picture of that dreadful, oh my God, uh, parade uh, sculpture that they had in Belgium. Uh, who would, I mean, that was like a Nazi caricature. Mm. Did, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? So the, that parade, and then, uh, you know, when confronted with it, the, the mayor actually said, oh, they didn't mean it. Well, what did you mean when you use a Nazi caricature and show the the payus and a rat near mm -hmm. a Jew with money. I mean, the, you can't mean something else. It is very clear-cut. Well, what did Airbnb mean? What did that professor mean when he wouldn't sign the, the student's uh, recommendation? So all of these things are red line. They, they cross a red line, and we can help define those and you can see it, David. There's no question. There is a rise in anti-Semitism. Otherwise, we wouldn't bother with this. We don't have so many resources. No, you Stand know, with us is you yeah. know pretty tight, um, and we have 18 offices to support now. So, right. so we wouldn't do this. We wouldn't do this if uh, you know we didn't think that anti-Semitism was dangerous and rising. No, there's a school of thought. Uh, in fact, it's covered in our uh, issue this week that says that um, Donald Trump has been kind of complicit or intentionally or unintentionally has been complicit in triggering more anti-Semitism, especially from the alt-right and from the far right. What's your thought on that? Well, my thought on that, unfortunately, is that um, we've seen this for 18 years. Uh, we started Stand With Us because there was no Stand With Us. We, we felt that things were being twisted when Kobe Mandel and Yosef Ishran were murdered uh, in Israel in 2001, in May of 2001, and the media didn't quite tell the story or give the context properly. And I was wondering, it was the end. It was the last straw for my husband, I, and, and Esther Renzer. It was our last straw. That murder and the way it was depicted in the media felt like, wow, that is out of context, they're not giving a big story, and it almost sounded like the boys were at fault mm -hmm. because they lived in the West Bank. So, so you don't think Trump made it worse? Well, you know what? I think that you could, you could fault President Trump here or there about not being clear, you know, both sides of this and both sides have, you know. He, he could have been more clear about that, uh, but he's certainly not at fault 
of for mm -hmm. all the years of rising anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. How can we pin that on any one person? Mm -hmm. So, no, I don't think so. We, we have always seen it coming from the right. We have always, and I'm, I'm saying the far right, mm -hmm. we've always seen coming from the far right, coming from the far left, and coming from radical Islam. Mm -hmm. There are three places that anti-Semitism emanates, and if he's that powerful, that would be pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. They have always uh, emanated from those three things, from mm -hmm. the far left, the far right, and, and radic radical Islam, mm -hmm. and, and so uh, he can't have that much power. So that's, right. what, that's how I feel about it. Are you going to be involved with Europe as well? To some degree. Uh, but but mainly, mainly we're focused on America and Canada, and we're you know we're trying to really coalesce any good group, any group that's working in this space that is willing to sit down and work and and really amplify and expose and think through and and help with the strategy because um, we have great great beginnings of this great idea. We're already getting some support. Uh, Robert Kraft actually uh, just gave us our first 200000 towards this effort mm -hmm. uh, for the next two years. So we've already hired the director. We're very excited. We're moving forward. And we would love everybody's help out there. If you're a donor, if you're another organization, remember, write to Jerry R at standwithus.com. Jerry with a J. Jerry, with a J. So <laughs> let's say, uh, Roz, you come back here 12 months from now. Yes. We're in the same studio. And what's your definition of success? Well, I would hope that there are a lot of organizations working together and being more streamlined and saving resources by actually, you know, amplifying messages and creating materials, maybe working. There's so many target Groups? So you'll give us evidence of all of that stuff in 12 months. Yes. Let's make yes. a deal. Okay, I'm 12 back. 12 months, same place. I'm here. I'm Love with it. you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Roz. It's great to have you. Thank you so studio. much. Thank you. And uh, good luck with this project. And thank you for being such a big part of our lives, That's David. My, my pleasure. Thanks. And once again, I want to thank Mount Sinai Memorial Parks and Mortuaries for sponsoring this episode, mountsinaiparks.org. Thank you. <laughs>